Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only program from Radio New Zealand Sport. In the program this week, the All Blacks play the Wallabies in the final Tri-Nations Rugby Test in Sydney and the Ranfurly Shields on the line again in Invercargill. In the other oval ball code, the New Zealand Warriors kick off the NRL finals, playing the Titans on the Gold Coast. And it's been another award-filled year for the New Zealand cricket captain Dan Vittori. One of this country's top motorcyclists is stepping off the international stage, while a young track cyclist starts a two-year ban for doping. To rugby first, and before the All Blacks try to complete the Tri-Nations unbeaten in what will be Captain Richie McCaw's record 52nd test as captain, North Harbour will try to emulate the 2006 side's Ranfurly Shield win when they play Southland. Harbour lost the Shield to Waikato the following season after repelling three challenges, and they've struggled since then. I talked to a former All Black great who's co-coaching the challenges, but whose family are staunch Southlanders, and whose wife captained the New Zealand netballers and the Southern Sting. Since Jeff Wilson joined North Harbour to help Craig Dowd coach the side, he's yet to taste the sort of success he enjoyed regularly as one of the All Blacks' best wings, and he told me how they're trying to change that. What we're doing is we're trying to build something from within in the union. There's a little bit of an experience, but these are local players, most of them, guys who have played through at our club competition, you know, and we're pretty much committed to, to what we're doing within this region, you know, and what we are working hard at is to develop what we've got. Overall, though, this is a really good bunch of guys who work really, really hard, and we're pretty comfortable with how we've played in the first six weeks. It wouldn't have been perfect, but we've, you know, we've played up against some pretty good teams, and we've given everyone a run for their money. We just need to work a little bit harder on our defence. You know, we're, we're managing to score some points this year, which is a step in the right direction. It sounds almost an old-fashioned sort of approach, the provincial loyalty, because that's the way it was when I grew up. You played for where you, if you were from Canterbury, that's where you played. These days, there's people, you know, scouts going out, and half yeah. the Canterbury team seems to come from Manawatu, for example. So yeah. do you think that's a good thing, what you're trying to do? Well, absolutely, because, you know, we're trying to identify our local players, our local talent, and, and bring those guys through our academy system and through our program. And, you know, we're making decisions that makes sure that this, this union is secure in the future and a lot of those are based around financial things and we've cut a lot of things um, out of our budget but in saying that we've certainly still got a crop of players who can compete every week and are capable of winning games of rugby and you know we've won a couple this year and we were in the game against Bay Pliny and, and we were certainly in the game against Waikato last weekend so against two pretty much powerhouses of, of later years so from my perspective we're doing everything we can to, to try and be successful here. And you know what it's like to win the Ranfurly Shield in recent years unfortunately didn't, you're a bit like Wellington, you didn't keep it as long as, as you would have liked but how many guys are in the team now who have that experience and what have they been able to tell the younger guys who haven't been there? We've got a lot of people who are from families of North Harbour and we haven't got, even though there isn't many who played in that Ranfurly Shield winning team um, you know, Luke's still here and, and has come back from overseas and you know, he understands what it's all about and, and the, the passion behind it. But so does, so does some of these other guys, the likes of your, your Mayhews and the Bodikers who have had family who have been involved around the Ram for the Shield. And they understand that, you know, it's an opportunity 
to, I think, to engage your community with your team. If you're defending it, it certainly brings a whole new level of intensity to the games. And to be fair, that's what Southland have done. They've taken it to Invercargill. It's become part of their culture down there since they won it last year. They've defended it very, very strongly. And, you know, we're going to have to play out of our skins to even have a crack at it, really. They haven't scored a lot of points, though, have they? So there must be some sort of hope for you there in regards that you know, they've won, but... Not easily. They haven't conceded a lot of points either, though, and that's that's really, you know, they've defended extremely well. They've got a huge amount of experience in their squad. Got a lot of guys have played a lot of Super 14 rugby, and they're very, very good ITM Cup players. They're top quality at that at that level. So, you know, from my perspective, they're going to be a tough ask for the sheer fact that they've they've been in this fight before. You know, for a lot of our guys, it'll be the first time they're having a crack at the shield. And so we've got to prepare them as best we can for that. And, and I think if we do that well, like I say, and we, we put our best game forward, now we've got a shot at it. But hey, they'll be tough. Now, you've played for Southland before you, you moved north to Otago. What's it going to be like going back to the old hometown with a bunch of you know, latte drinking Auckland players. Well, they're not they're not like that. These guys, these North Harbour boys, you know, they, it's think, amazing. That they think that down they there. They think though. that down there. Now, I'm looking forward to going back down there. Like it's home. It's where I was born. I've got a lot of family down there. They're staunch Southland supporters, as you'd expect, and, and that's what to me is is the great thing about Southland is that they really do support their own. And you know, I was lucky enough. You know, Dean played her netball down there, and it's a fantastic environment for sport. And uh, they do a great job in supporting their local team. Um, they've got great facilities, it's a great stadium. They bring atmosphere to a game, so from my perspective it's exciting to go down there and, and be part of what I think they're doing really, really well, and that's they're making rugby in Southland work. Do they still have oysters at the after-match functions? Well, I'm hoping to see a bit of power, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I remember in the old days they used to have the old uh, oysters, but I, I think our manager, John McKittrick, uh, he's cut a few deals left, right and centre. We might be able to have some of that in the pre-match. Yeah, I remember those oysters very well. But as a player, what, what are your memories of Shield Challenges? I know Otago had, had, some, had, had some horrible moments. Losing, at losing is pretty much my memory of uh, Shield Challenges. I think it, it brings a whole new perspective and a new edge to the game. You can't prepare for them like you would any other, other game because there's something that's at stake, which is in history, you know. And I say it can bring together a community when you bring it back to wherever you are, you know. And for us, it, it would obviously be a huge boost to our season. And not just winning the Ramford Shield, but getting that third win in the season, putting ourselves a little bit higher up on that table. But the Ramford Shield itself is, you know, its history is, is vast. There are great games. The Rugby Channel has been a great in terms of educating the public about you know, the, some of the great games and the younger people about what used to ride on these games and the, the crowds, the massive crowds you, you used to get to it. And I suppose that's what a team like Southland, having won it, has done. They're selling out their games because 9, 10, 12,000 people come along and they know that they're an asset when it comes to the Shield. They know that when you've got fan support, it's like the 16th player and they do a very good job of, of getting that, that crowd behind them. What have you made of the season so far? Because there's been some strange results, like Manawatu beating Wellington, and it's been a bit topsy-turvy really, hasn't it? A bit of Jekyll and Hyde from, from a number of teams. Canterbury, for example, losing to Tasman and then gave us a good hiding and played very well against Auckland. To be honest with you, I've been a little bit disappointed with the quality of rugby this year across the board. There's been some very dour struggles, and next year you're probably going to see less of that once the competitions are sorted out, at the moment there's this scrap for the top seven and that's everyone's focus and that's the, you know, this is going to be survival and, you know, I certainly think that some unions have stretched themselves to try and get into that top seven and so there's a hell of a lot of pressure on. So you're sort of seeing some teams are chancing their arm and going, well, we've got nothing to lose, which is your Northlands and your counties of the world, you know, and going, well, let's, let's play all the cards on the table and see what's happening and doing a very good job of it. And there are other teams who 
have traditionally been very, very consistent and played well week in, week out, who your likes of your Wellingtons and your Canterbury's, who you, sometimes you just don't know what you're going to get. But they're quality sides. And this happened last year, if you remember, the first half a dozen rounds. It was messy. There were a lot of upsets. And then in the end, the bigger unions, the ones that had the resources behind them, that had the depth, because that's crucial, they came to the fore and they ended up being the ones who contested it and played for the finals. So it'll be interesting to see if the settling down sort of happens. We're happy to say we've got Auckland, Canterbury and Waikato out of the way, but every team seems to have a pretty good, strong starting lineup. And if you're fit and you're healthy and your team's out there, then you, anyone can beat anyone. It's really at the end of the season, uh, if you had to delve into your stocks and go a bit further down, and whether or not you've A, been able to afford to buy to depth, or be your depth of the, is there within your, within your union. I also asked Jeff Wilson for his thoughts on the new first five Aaron Cruden's first test start. I would like to have seen him sooner, to be honest. You know, if we're building for next year, the All Blacks have been playing some fantastic rugby, have, have been great. They've had three weeks off. Uh, my expectation is that they should win this test and win it well. Australia have had the, the two battles in South Africa. Very, very difficult at the high valve. An unbelievable game of rugby they won. That'll give them some momentum, but I would expect things to sort of start catching up with them. And with sort of 20 minutes to go, it would have been a pretty heavy two weeks. Those games are fast and furious. They'll ride the emotion of their latest success, but I think the All Blacks should really be too strong. And Aaron's a very, very capable rugby player, and they'll have a forward pack that's, like I say, had a bit of a break and ready to go. And, you know, I think they'll, uh, they'll help them out immensely. What did you make of the way the Australians approached that game in South Africa, the second test? Because it was 31-6 at one stage, and then they just kind of fell to pieces? Well, I mean, I think that's the, that's the way they are. They, they play such a brand of rugby that um, there's high risk, high reward in a lot of things they do. They, they try and play with the position, and, you know, it, it's, it's not easy. It catches up to you at, at, at altitude at times, and in the end, you, what you, you look at is that two distinctive styles of rugby and in the end the, the one that I suppose got out to the early lead the Savagans just couldn't quite hold on but what do I make of it? Not a lot of defence <laughs> that's what I make of it and then you know and I think what we've seen is the change in interpretations has certainly assisted in, in both the uh, All Blacks and Australians ability to use the ball and uh, you know, at the moment I think we've got a little bit more experience in our team versus what Australia's got but They've shown they can definitely be a threat, not just this weekend, but, but next year. How would you see the Quade Cooper uh, match-up with Aaron Cruden? Well, I mean, I think they'll be targeting an area they'll, they'll obviously want to try and attack Aaron. You know, I think that's something that, um, that you know, Cooper's played some really good rugby this year. He adds a new element to their side when he's playing. He sees the game and sees the field very, very clearly and knows what he's trying to do when he's out there and, and he's very, and got the skills to create a lot. And probably since Stephen Larkham... Australia have been searching for that and they tried Matt Gitto who just doesn't quite have the same attacking flair for the game so you know, I think they're starting to get their balance right uh, it was disappointing when, when Craig got um, suspended because I think that sort of uh, it halted the uh, uh, Australians uh, opportunity to, to push forward really Jeff Wilson was born in Invercargill and played for Southland briefly before moving to Otago This is Extra Time a web only sports show from Radio New Zealand Sport Two rugby league now and week one of the NRL finals starts with the New Zealand Warriors playing the Titans on Queensland's Gold Coast. The Titans finished the regular season fourth, one ahead of the Warriors, and although the McIntyre system means the loser isn't necessarily eliminated, they're far from safe. 
If two of the three lower teams manages a win over the weekend, then the loser's history. And in a competition with as many upsets as the NRL Premiership, who'd write off Canberra's chances of beating Penrith, the Sydney Roosters of toppling the West's Tigers, or even suspension hit Manly's against the minor Premier's St George Illawarra. And if two of the bottom three teams manage a win, then the winner of the Titans-Warriors match gets a week off and a home game in the grand final qualifier stage of week three. The Warriors' chances have been boosted by the return of their defensive linchpin, the lock Michael Luck, who missed two games after gashing his leg. Luck says it's healed well, and while he was on the mend, he says the Warriors' defence was particularly impressive. That's come from a lot of hard work. You know, we, we do a lot of work here during the week that you blokes don't see. You know, the, on, our, on our technique and control and you know, all that sort of stuff that, you know, I suppose to do it 26 weeks into the season, I, you know, it's a... Some blokes probably see it as a pain in the bum, but now I think we're you've seen the results of it. It's um, you know, everyone's confident in each other and sort of knows what what everyone else is going to do. And, and when you've got a defensive line that's working as one unit, it, it always performs a lot better. So uh, that's our challenge now to take it in the next month. It's Michael Luck. However, history's with the Titans. They've beaten the Warriors twice this season and have a five-two record. Cricket now, and Daniel Vittori is New Zealand Cricketer of the Year for the second consecutive year and the fourth time in six years. At the awards dinner in Auckland, the captain also lifted the Windsor Trophy for first-class bowling and the Walter Hadley Trophy for one-day international bowling. Vice-captain Ross Taylor won the Red Path Cup for first-class batting, while Brenda McCullum won the Walter Hadley Trophy for one-day international batting and the J.R. Reid Trophy for all-rounders. Barry Guy caught up with Vittori and asked him about his recent break from the game when he didn't go to Sri Lanka with the rest of the team. Refreshed, I think it's not. Uh, it's a bit of an anomaly to have that amount of time off in international cricket these days. You're normally playing 10 to 12 months a year and, and to get a, a long period of time away just makes you look forward to playing again. I think that's, that's the way that I'm viewing the Bangladesh tour. You would have been an interested observer though, the way things went in Sri Lanka. Batting perhaps still a concern? I know it was difficult conditions over there. Dambulla is not your typical subcontinent wicket. The ball turned a lot but also seamed and bounced a bit. So we didn't get that many opportunities to bat with the game being rained out. I thought the partnership between Ross Taylor and Scott Storris in the first game was one of the best I've seen. So there's always positives but when you don't make a final then that is disappointing. Brendan McCullum also had some time off. Have you spoken to him? Of course, you know he wants to give up the gloves in some aspects of the game. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a good break for him as well. He plays a lot of cricket, and when you keep as well, it puts a lot of pressure on your body, and you're always in the game, so you never really get a break from it. So he stepped back from keeping on test matches, and hopefully that means we'll see an even better-performing batsman in Brendan McCallum, and hopefully give us a chance to shore up a little bit of our top order with him. So does he obviously have something to prove to going to Bangladesh? I mean, because the next sort of series is India. I'm wondering, would he walk straight into the side as a batsman? Well, he averaged over 50 with a bat last year in, in Test cricket and, and played really well. So I think that gives him a, an advantage over a number of players. Obviously, I know people will discuss the fact that he was, he's been down the order and he was a keeper batsman. But I, I think we've seen him open the batting in one day for long enough to know that he can handle going up the top of the order. On to Bangladesh then as your next assignment. Will perhaps the conditions be the toughest thing there? It will be. It's it's funny because I suppose people are, are thinking of low, slow wickets, but I think we've got 9am starts in all five of our games. And last time we had that, the wickets were a bit wet and they, they suited the seamers. So if that continues, then unusually you can expect to see uh, seamers dominate early on.
If we head on to what's happened in Britain in the last couple of weeks, the uh, you know the spot betting things that have happened with Pakistan and England, uh, what does it mean perhaps for the Pakistan tour here in the summer? A lot of time between now and that tour, so a lot of different things can happen. I think the the fortunate thing that Pakistan cricket do have is they have a number of talented players. So if, if these guys, if these allegations are proven true and they and they receive lengthy bans, then they, they have a number of players that can can step into the fold. And I think. Look at the example of Mohamed Amir, who who wasn't really on the radar of anyone uh, 12 months ago, and, and now he stepped up to be a world-class performer. And if he's he's not a, around, Pakistan are fortunate they have a number of players to step into the breach. So what do you think should happen if the allegations are proved? We have to have that caveat of that if they are proved, those allegations, that has to be the harshest possible deterrent, and, and it needs to be life bans. And question marks over performances by Pakistan here also have uh, risen? I think it's justified whenever incidents like recently have come into the spotlight, then people are going to question every single game that Pakistan's played in. And so I can understand that the the, the key for, for world cricketers to, to tidy it up and, and clean it up as quickly as possible so that people don't turn up to games and, and, and think there's something going on. We need to make sure that cricket's squeaky clean. And so the matches here this summer, I mean, uh, everyone, would, do you think, will be sidetracked? by what has gone on, the public and players, perhaps? Oh, it just depends what happens between now and then. I mean, so so much can change, it's, it's hard to speculate. And also, can I ask, just, uh, you're going to India in November, but the Commonwealth Games team will be there shortly. You know, is the, is the concerns that have arisen, perhaps, uh, firstly by food and security and that sort of thing, is that too much hype, perhaps? What have your feelings been? You have to base every decision on, on your, your your own experiences and, and what I've experienced in the past in India is is, is pretty tight security uh, and so they understand that they need to they need to be able to assure that athletes and officials are going to be safe and, and I've always felt that when I've been in India in the past so from my perspective I'm, I'm comfortable going but uh, I know things that can change you just have to listen and, and, and believe the people the security people that are in charge of making these decisions. That's Dan Vittori talking to Barry Guy, and this is Extra Time, a web-only sports show from Radio New Zealand Sport. New Zealand's veteran motocross rider Josh Coppins has announced his retirement from the sport this week. Coppins has been racing Grands Prix for 17 years, though he never won the world title, finishing second once and third twice. He's been described as New Zealand's best-known motorsports person in Europe, although he's not as well-known in his own country. Having ridden for Suzuki, Honda and Yamaha, the 33-year-old faced a new challenge this year when he joined the Italian Apria Racing Squad and is currently 11th in the championship. Barry Guy caught up with Coppins and asked him about his decision to retire. I did contemplate it last season, but I had trouble putting the, the deal together down under. I didn't want to stop racing completely, but I, I was looking to stop GPs. And because of the current economic times, I struggled to put the deal together down under and I had to wait for a vacancy to open up so because I still wanted to race I decided to stay on in Europe one more year and I was always in the, in the pipeline to uh, finish either last year or this year so uh, and now's the time and the deal opened up to come home and uh, be able to race from New Zealand so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Is this racing on a completely different level is it? Yeah I'll be just um, doing uh, some New Zealand events, New Zealand championships and Australian championships so uh, it's only 14 races, 6 in New Zealand and 8 in Australia for uh, 
for 2011. So that's about a third of what I'm doing now. So it's going to be a much lower scale and and also hopefully working a little bit with the with the riders from New Zealand and the, and the federation and, and just hopefully we can try to um, bring on the youngsters in New Zealand. And so a whole new job, really, new role, and yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I was just going to say, are you getting more into business actually away from the riding, are you? That's something you hope to do more of? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's just something which really has come on and, and sort of two or three years ago I was quite stressed about what I was going to do after racing, but as it's happened, things have just come up and I've been overwhelmed with the opportunities I've had. So um, there's a lot of options to be able to stay on and do that sort of thing here in the UK or, or, or even in Europe. But I decided that uh, I wanted to come home and I, have, I haven't been home for longer than six weeks for 15 years. So uh, I want to come home for a little bit and just get a little bit settled and try to make home home again. Has it been a frustrating year? I know you know part of the reason with the Apriya, of course, was to help develop it in, the, in that, but how have you found it? Um, it's been frustrating for sure, but uh, not only for me, but also for them. But when I when I signed this contract, I knew we, we were going to have frustrations, you know. So um, it was just one of those things, and, and we wanted to do better, and we have improved, and, and we just had a few too many mechanical problems five DNFs, which cost us dearly. So uh, without them, we would have really been sitting pretty well in the championship. So uh, I'm just, I'm 12th in the championship now. So my goal was top 10. So we've missed that. There's only one round to go and we won't make that. So um, it's been frustrating on different levels. But like I said, you said earlier, it was, I knew it was going to be tough. And it was really was a different job. It wasn't about winning races. It was about developing a bike and trying to bring it on and also trying to bring on some younger riders. So um, I've enjoyed it but it has been frustrating. You know, you go from wanting to win championships and championships and win races and then all of a sudden you're, you're just there to, to do a sort of a, a process really, so it was kind of hard. You're going to race the motocross of nations. I know that's something that you've been involved in a bit. You'll hopefully do that for a while yet? Well, I hope not, to be honest, because, you know, I've done it for 13 years now. I'm 33 now, 34 next year, so... Hopefully there's some youngsters coming on in New Zealand which are going to be able to take over from me. But at the moment, there's no one standing out that's really ready. So at the moment, I'm still one of the best guys to take. So hopefully soon there's some youngsters that come on and, and I'm not in a situation where I have to do it. But uh, I do enjoy it. It is, a, it is a good event. It's racing for your country. So um, it's always nice to, to ride for your country. So the situation, is it the economic climate, to, you know, that New Zealanders perhaps aren't getting to Europe or the States? I know Ben Townley's in the States, but I mean, it's difficult, obviously. Yeah, definitely. And things are tightening up over here as far as in any company. The first thing which normally gets cut is the racing budget. And so it's made it quite hard for youngsters wanting to come over here and and often now it started off, I guess, in Formula One and sort of moved its way down and you need to have backing behind you or a sponsor with you, which is very, very hard for New Zealand to, to bring a sponsor from New Zealand. So it, it is hard for the youngsters coming up, but there are possibilities. You just have to go about it a different way and try and do some domestic series, British Championship or German or, or Dutch or Belgium and, and try and work your way into the Grand Prix from there. So uh, it's different than when I came up, that's for sure, but it's possible and there's still good opportunities but it is hard that's for sure not winning the mx world championship is that the one thing that'll irk you at the end of your career yeah i think so at the moment it doesn't really bother me and everyone says that to me you know like i was so close many times i was second third or th- uh, three times and the one time in 07 with such a huge lead it was you know one hand on the trophy and and, and i lost it but 
I guess it, will, it could later on. At the moment, it doesn't really bother me. I think I've had a great career so far, and, and hopefully I finish strongly, and hopefully I can win an Australian title and a couple more New Zealand titles before I uh, really hang up the helmet. But I guess when I really stop and sit back and slow down and, and my life changes gear, I guess I'll probably uh, that will probably still haunt me. And also, many uh, motorcycling fans say to me that you're probably one of the best-known New Zealanders in Europe, but perhaps not back here. Have you ever felt yeah. that? Yeah, definitely. But, you know, it doesn't bother me one bit. All my sponsorship, all my contracts have, have been Japan, America and Europe. You know, not one dollar of my support comes from New Zealand. So it's been more important for me to be more well-known over here and and I quite enjoy being able to come home to New Zealand and be unknown and just do my own thing. Motorcyclist Josh Coppins talking to Barry Guy. And still on two-wheeled sport, Bike New Zealand's chief executive Karen Turner says he's baffled by the behaviour of the Commonwealth Games track rider Adam Stewart. The Sports Tribunal has banned the 23-year-old Cantabrian for two years after he admitted possessing and trying to use prohibited substances, including the blood booster EPO. Stewart also admitted to an earlier incident in 2009 when he ordered and received another banned substance, HCG, but got rid of it without using it. Karen Turner told Mary Wilson the question he and others in cycling are asking now is, what was Stewart thinking? He's not only ruined his, his career, but just uh, certainly the impact it's going to have on, on the team for a while in terms of casting a shadow over us. It's just an incredibly stupid thing for him to have done. So why? What do you think? To be honest, I've really got no idea what was going through Adam's head. He's expressed a lot of remorse around that and regret. And action. he seems to know that it was a terribly stupid thing to do. He's embarrassed about it. He realises the stress and the pressure it's put everyone else under. Yeah, my, my sense is that um, it's a, a naive, stupid thing that, that he's done. He's acted alone. There, there's no evidence that anyone else has been involved. And we've drug-free sport New Zealand ourselves have definitely checked. He can't even really explain why he's done it. But quite well planned. Unsophisticated, I would say, in terms of what he has done. So, I mean, he hasn't really tried to hide it that well, and he's admitted it uh, straight away to his credit uh, when he has been um, confronted about it. He ordered the stuff over the internet, right? That's right. And we've got six pre-filled syringes of EPO. Yes. So what does that do? Typically, it's for endurance athletes, so why a sprinter would use that, I am not too sure. I mean, I'm not a, not a sports scientist or, or chemist, but that's typically something that helps you over a, a very long distance, So, uh, which sort of hints at the fact that even I'm, I'm not sure Adam knew quite what he was doing. HCG, which is used in conjunction with steroids to counteract shrinking testicles and a drop in testosterone. Yeah, so it's a, it increases testosterone levels, which... Uh, can be useful on its own and obviously if you were taking something else can be useful as well just to make sure you are producing testosterone. So the implication is if he was ordering this stuff then he was also on steroids? Could be. Again there's no evidence that he's imported any other steroids. Certainly we've conducted a, a number of tests over this period with Adam as we have with our other riders, I think 94, 95 in total across our squad plus the UCI test so certainly that testing regime is pretty thorough. This is Extra Time, a web-only sports show from Radio New Zealand Sport, and that's the show for this week. Feedback's welcome via sport at radionz.co.nz. You can get the latest sports news anytime on our website, while we'll be back with the next web-only Extra Time show next week. I'm Murray Williams. Bye for now. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.